Drunk Dish contains adult language that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Like Nilla wafers, or yes. oh my god, Nilla wafers. Right? Oh, those are good. Oh shit. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, <laughs> hello and welcome to Drunk Dish, where three delicious dishes explore food history and get pickled in the process. This is episode forty-seven, Ooh, where 47. we'll be discussing and eating, but not really because they have different ones. Toll House cookies. Yeah. yeah. Bow, bow, bow. So excited. I'm Melissa. I'm Kate. And I'm Amy. Yay. Yay. I had um, to have the notes up today to like make sure I was saying my name in the right order. <laughs> you're always after Kate. Uh, it's literally been the same I since know. we started doing the show. I know. But I think but for I the first know. million years, we didn't say it that way. Like, I think it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did it backwards mm, for a long time. I think we did. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm team Kate uh, on this. <laughs> I don't think that's true because we went in order of, and I'm look, thinking of how we sat in the limb, but maybe you're right. Maybe it was. I think we did it counterclockwise. Amy and then Kate. Yeah, I think we did yeah. it counterclockwise. Oh, maybe. Whatever. Anyways, now that we've introduced ourselves, <laughs> every episode, Kate likes to ask us one food related question. Kate, what is our question? Ma, okay. Um, so this is quick, easy. It is. One glorious season. Today, yesterday was the first day of spring, like possibly my first day, my favorite day of the whole wide year. Like it's I just love first day of spring. Um, it's magical. It really is magical. I was looking and out. It's nice today. Yeah, it's beautiful. The weather's been gorgeous. gorgeous and 63. Just, yeah. Like I had the windows <laughs> open all day. The cats are loving it. It's all all good. All good. Um, and something else that is magical around this time of year um, are Girl Scout cookies. It is yeah, Girl Scout cookie season. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Until until Greg said that you guys got some. It's because I'm not at the mall. Mm. Did Girl Scout, did you have know. a Girl Scout cookie set up at the mall? Like They a, would come to the mall, but also when we would do events, I would host Girl Scout events oh. and we would always get free cookies. Oh, right, yeah. right, right, right. Well, you probably, I would have a direct line. I was going to say, you'd probably also have like maybe a teammate, like a person on your, at work that had kids with, that were Girl Scouts? No? Not normally, no. We bought no, a million think, cookies from Dan's yeah. niece. <laughs> yeah. Like a million cookies. <laughs> Um, so join Girl Scouts for the sole purpose of being able to sell and procure cookies easily. I mean, there's not it's not a bad it's not a bad life choice. I, yeah. I think it's not a bad. That's really the way to go. Like that and like the trans non the trans inclusive environment of like why she wants to join Girl Scouts over the scouting of America or whatever Boy Scouts rebranded itself as. So because girls can join that now. Oh, Former. Do they want to? Yeah, but right. do they want to? Yeah. <laughs> That's the question. Do they want to? We have I mean, puppies the... over here. You've got yeah. to go fishing over there. So good yeah. luck Well, with that's that. the thing is like they teach different skills too. So that's about oh, I do mean, they? I was just mostly talking about the pedophilia y- stuff. Yeah, that. The pedophilia, <laughs> the the transphobia. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. The the like Girl Scouts is a much more chill org. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Like we did the reason we did so many at my old job did so many Girl Scout events as opposed to Boy Scout events was because Girl Scout events, they were basically like, look, you just need to hit these like three main points. Mm-hmm. Make sure it has this overall theme. Boom, you're good. And you yep. can sign off on them getting a badge. The Boy Scouts, it was like you have to get certified. You needed a certified trainer. And I'm like, the, they have Boy Scout people with them. Like, we're not there to teach them how to Boy Scout. We're yeah. teaching them, like, computer science or, like. But that's not mainly About cyberbullying. Like, we're not. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we needed more cyberbullying, um, how to not do that kind yeah. of thing. But anyways, Girl Scouts are better. Yeah. Okay. So Yay, it's, Girl, it's Scout. Girl Scout cookie season. It is Girl Scout cookie season. So because of Girl Scout cookie season, the question of the week is, what's your favorite Girl Scout cookie? Mm-hmm. This is impossible. I know. It's so a hard one. So first of all, I learned something this year. Depending on what part of the country you live in, there are different Girl Scout cookies available Let's to you. Let's not talk too much about it because it's actually a topic on our list that I wanted to do. Yeah. Right. But when I lived in Minnesota, yeah. I was there was a cookie called lemonades, and they're different than the lemonades that are available in New England. So if I was still in Minnesota, my answer would be lemonades because the lemonades in the Midwest are amazing. What Not are a the fan le- of the lemonades here. The ones that I love, I think they stopped making. Um. So what is a? Le- I don't even know what a lemonade is. So this is a lemonade. Oh no, these are a New little England. bit different. I have it. No, I have it with they're you. called le- lemon ups. Dan just told me they were called lemon ups. Oh, maybe they're called lemon ups. Yeah. But they're yeah. they have like a they're very sweet. They have like a, a faint lemon flavor and like the bottom has like lemon icing and then the top mm-hmm. is like imprinted with like an empowering statement. Yeah. And they're okay. They're I good. Like, like they're good. I love lemon flavored stuff. So like I these are these are still like my top three in New England. Yeah. This is the mm. first time I've ever had these. This was I've a- never had them. And I need to because my favorite has been discontinued. Oh yeah. I'll send some home tomorrow. So- well, with, not those ones. Those aren't guy. my favorite. I've never had those ones. Well, you can try them. But yeah, I can try them. I have them. some yeah. that I can send with you. So with that guy. In Minnesota, the lemonades are, or they are called lemonades. I guess they're lemon ups here. Hmm, but okay. lemonades are different. Hmm. And uh, when I lived there a few years ago, they were like, they had like a slight like lemon, like drizzle on the top. Hmm. Mm. And they were very, they were very good. And they were less, I feel like they were less sweet. It was like more like a shortbread cookie with like a yeah. lemon icing yeah. as opposed to this, which I feel like is a lemon cookie with sugar icing. Mm. That so, sounds delicious. It yeah. does sound good though. Yes. Yeah, so if you want to send some of those my okay. way. Kate. Yeah. I mean, I think they're, I think these are tasty and like a, a real good shortbread cookie is like one of my favorite cookies on the planet. Like mm-hmm. seriously, you, you can't go wrong with butter and sugar and flour I yeah. guess but um but yeah so I, I really did like these um a lot I thought they were good this was my first year of trying them okay yeah. so yeah is that so, the, so those are top three for you but yeah not, they're top three for me I like the shortbread cookies I can't remember what they're called they're I left the boxes foil. in the kitchen yeah tree yeah tree foil oh okay um because I think they're really versatile you can like dip them in things or add them as a topping to ice cream or oh, just have them fancy alone. you're so fancy you're clever like, they're like a good base short 
bread cookie. Okay. Like it's like, you know, like it's like a good standard. So that's one of my favorites. And then the I love peanut butter chocolate. So are they the what are they called? The tagalongs? Dose. Yeah. Um, or dosy do I can't remember. Are, what I think those are, are is that one of the ones that are different where dose dosy are from one area and tagalongs are a different area? Maybe. Are they the same thing? I but think these, those are called tagalongs. Okay. Here, these are at least. it's like a cookie wafer with like a layer of peanut butter cream and then the whole cookie's covered in chocolate yeah. describing it for our non-new england listeners oh no so, mm-hmm. a do is that peanut butter sandwich one yeah i like the i like the peanut butter sandwiches too but the i just prefer chocolate with peanut butter so mm. those those are my top three okay but i don't have it depends on my mood yeah mm. yeah like if i want something more sweet or more tart or just like a good base yeah cookie base for sure yeah i Really like Thin Mints, but only if they're frozen. Okay. Like, my Thin Mints got to be cold. I don't like a warm room temperature Thin Mint. Hmm. Um, I really love Samoas, but those I have to be in the mood for. Mm-hmm. Are Samoas the one so... with the coconut? Yes. Yeah. I think Keebler does one that's like Coconut Delights or something. Yes. And they're basically the same thing. Um, and then I, I think Trefoils are my favorite that currently exists. Mm-hmm. But Girl Scouts used to have a cookie that was also lemon called Savannah Smiles. Mm. And they were these crescent moon shape, like shortbread lemon cookies. Mm-hmm. I've never even heard powdered, of that. With powder sh- powdered sugar on them. Those Ooh. are fucking amazing. And they're small. They were mm-hmm. little. Like uh, one of them was probably only like maybe an, an inch or an inch and a half. They were tiny. But like I would freaking house a box of those. And I think they discontinued <laughs> them a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Like we were doing an event and the lady came in and she's like, time for cookies. And I was like, where are those Savannah smiles? And she was like, we don't make them anymore. And I was like. Get out. We'd right too. Get, Get out. out. <laughs> Get the fuck out. Take there your kids with you. There was reason that you were invited. <laughs> I'm just screaming at this mom in front of her like crying Girl Scout troop. <laughs> You're a disappointment. Those Girl Scouts are taught life skills. They were not crying. They were figuring out a way to capitalize on the situation. How do we get Savannah smiles? Yes. Um, I've looked up how to make them. And so it's just, it's a very crumbly light cookie Mm -hmm. like a really light shortbread cookie but it's lemon and it's got it they're so good yeah they were so good those were my favorites before they were discontinued as well i love lemon flavored confections like lemon anything Mm -hmm. yeah oh greg does too greg really likes lemon stuff yeah that's sweet and tart um yep so i think so i'm also a fan of samoas but i also agree that you got to be in the mood for them and i have a box in my freezer from last year that I didn't even eat that probably needs to go because they've been yeah. in there for that long. Yeah, it's um, a long time for yeah, cookies. And, I mean, we obviously got more of those. Um, and then Thin Mints are probably Thin Mints are probably number one, but Keebler also makes a Thin Grasshoppers, Mint, yeah, I think right? Grasshoppers, which are delicious. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean... You got to support the kids. I get that. But like you get seven Thin Mints for $622 or you get 622 grasshoppers for $7. It's a Mm -hmm. pretty easy economic choice. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm really liking these these lemon ones. Uh, we also have those the chocolate peanut butter ones because my husband's a big fan of those. But I don't dig those yeah. at all. Yeah, I'm just not, like, I'm not like a the, fan I of I don't those. like that chalk. Like I don't like it when the chocolate is like 
um I don't know. It's very waxy to like, I feel like, you know, and yeah. it's just kind of a, a thing. I'm just, but. I'm like a complete slut for chocolate, <laughs> peanut butter combo, anything. Fair, like, I will do anything. Fair. I mean, it's a good it combination. Like, it could it's... be cheap chocolate and like gross old crusty peanut butter. And I'm still and there it's for okay. it. It's yeah. yeah. All right. Fair. Yep. I like it. <laughs> that, remi- that reminds me, sidebar. Well, my, my upset stomach, stomach, my upset stomach, <laughs> my upset stomach accent. reminded me. I ate some strawberries that were mm. like right on the edge. Borderline. <laughs> Borderline. Yeah, I don't like cut, cut bits off of them, uh, but I was like, I don't want this whole thing of strawberries to go to waste. So mm. I'm going to eat them. And now I feel like I'm liter- literally fermenting wine in my stomach but that oh. made me realize the reason why i really have to be in the mood for samoas is that way back in the day i worked at another retailer and i had gotten cookies and i ate a few samoas before i drove home and then while i was in the car driving home i had to pull over on the highway <gasps> and throw up outside oh no. my car and just threw up like like i did not chew <laughs> Oh no. I essentially <laughs> inhaled the cookies whole. So I like <laughs> threw up whole Samoas basically. Oh, no. And since then I that's really no have to like No, that's not good. Yeah, I have to be in like a mood in order to yeah. even like smell them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, man. Yikes. That was a long time ago too. That was probably like, I don't know, like ten years ago or something. It's like muscle but. memory. I've had a couple experiences like that with food. Where it's like muscle memory, like the sensory detail of that food you're eating reminds you of that one time you got ill. Yep. And then you're you're like immediately brought back like PTSD style yep. to that yep. moment. Yep. And you're like, oh no, 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 no. no. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Hard pass. <laughs> Easy pass. So if anybody wants to torture Melissa. Just shove some Samoas in her face when she's not ready for it. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I mean, I'll probably eat them. <laughs> I mean, they're still delicious. She's yes, true. <laughs> Accurate. Well, um, with your tummy troubles, Melissa, what are we drinking tonight? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm not really. It's kind of gotten not ice cold now. So this is going to be an interesting one. Um, so I couldn't really figure out uh, a drink that tied into Toll House. Um, and I didn't want to do like another chocolate drink because we've done a mm. few of those recently. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to do one. So I decided to kind of grab one that was from around the same, like invented around the same time um, as Toll House came to be. Um, but then this wasn't actually invented then. This was invented during like in the 1920s, but it became very popular in the 1930s. So okay. I was just like, you know what? We're going to do it. And then um, the creator is kind of interesting. So this is going to end up more being history about the inventor of this beverage than this actual beverage. Okay. Um, I'm here for it. But this beverage is called the Hanky Panky. <gasps> Fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's kind of similar to a Negroni a bit. Um, it just doesn't have... Which is, have, you know, your favorite. It doesn't have Campari in it. Oh, okay. It has one and a half ounces of gin, one and a half ounces of sweet vermouth, and then two um, dashes of Fernut Branca, um, which is a very herbaceous, bitter liqueur, kind of like Campari, um, <laughs> okay. except more herbal than Campari is. Oh, so um, like... like um... Whenever you say like herbal stuff, I think of like gin. Like, does it bring that kind of like flavor to it or? 
Um, it's even more herbaceous than gin. It's kind of like um, I did what? Oh, what liquor did I do that had the all the spi- the herbs and stuff? <laughs> the hundred and twenty three herbs invented by the French monk dude. I that doesn't I don't narrow remember. it down because most I feel I like know. most of the stuff we cover is invented oh, by a French monk. Uh, chartreuse, <laughs> green ah, chartreuse. Okay, that's yes, what it was. Yes, yes. It's similar to that where it's a thicker liqueur, um, oh. liqueur. Uh, and it's very, very herbal. Um, okay. I haven't used it very often, so this will be interesting. Um, so all you do is you add the gin, sweet vermouth, and uh, ferna into a mixing glass with ice and stir into well chilled. Strain into a chilled cocktail glass, garnish with an orange twist, which unfortunately I did not have. Um, but it is a pretty drink. I mean, it, it's nice. I don't know if you can mm. see it because I oh, don't have the camera. Pretty. But it's mm-hmm. nice and sophisticated, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah, I would feel it very fancy good. ordering that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not saying it, like going up to a bartender and be like, I'd like some hanky panky, please, <laughs> would make me feel a little awkward. But holding the cocktail, yes. the martini glass, it looks very fancy. Yeah. It's good. I think it's it's a bit harsh because it's not super cold. Mm. Most of these drinks that are served straight up, so meaning not served over ice, everything should be cold when you're making the drink. So like the mixing glass should be cold. Obviously, you have like really hard, cold ice. You don't want to use soft ice or ice that is like overly wet. Um, And you also want to keep the cocktail glass in the freezer. And then at the last minute, you can pour it into the cocktail glass. So everything's super, super chilled. But of course, we've been sitting here yakking. Uh, like a bunch As of hens. Do. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's like it's not room temperature, but it's definitely not as cold as you'd want it to be, which it means it's a little bit harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I had drank this immediately when it was chilled, I think it would be really, really good. So about the hanky panky. <laughs> the hanky panky uh, was created by uh, Ada Coleman. I actually don't know if it's Ada or Ada. It's A-D-A. Yeah, it could be either. Um, yeah, but she was known as Coley. Mm-hmm. So from here on out, I'll pretty much be referring to her as Coleman or Coley. Um, she began as a bartender at the Savoy Hotels American Bar in London in 1903. She is one of only two women to have held the role there of head bartender. Pioneer. Um, yes, um, especially around this time. But I mean, even to this day, there have only been two head bartenders that were women. Wait, at what? the Savoy. That's yeah. like... For all time? Yes. That's bullshit. They have women bartenders, but not a head, head bar- not in leadership. Yeah. We're gonna yes. keep our diversity at the, yeah. the lowest like the entry you're gonna, level. You're, you're gonna Fuck get that. more mad. Oh boy. <laughs> it's oh just boy. the beginning of the mad. <laughs> Great. Um, no, I mean it's not that bad. There are some theories that come up later that you'll get real hot and bothered by, but we'll we'll talk about that. Can't um, wait. So Coleman was born in England <laughs> in 1875. Um, when she was born, or when she was born, when she was 24, um, her father died. So oh. her father's boss, Rupert Rupert de Oily Cart. Um, who owned a bunch of different places. He owned a golf club, which was where her father worked. He also owned a hotel and some other stuff. So he offered her a job at one of his hotels as a florist. Uh, She quickly moved on from the florist shop um, to the bar. And then um, my notes are all fucked up. So (laughs) she quickly moved from the florist shop to the bar. Um, And this was odd because at 24 Coley was like at the top age range for women bartenders like oh so they it's kind of like 
Yeah, it's kind of like tennis players. Like once you hit 25, you're basically useless Mm -hmm. unless you're a Williams sister. You know what I mean? At this, do you know, and you might not know the answer to this, but at this time, is there like a minimum or yeah, minimum age for drinking? Like, is it? I don't know. Because like that's really fucking weird. Like, yeah. Like, does that mean your career is like five years, four years so it doesn't necessarily mean you won't be working anymore. It just means that when you get into it, Mm. So you have to be young. So like many bars when they would put up. Um, I mean, that's uh, like pretty much mid middle aged in the 1870s for like barmaids, what they called barmaids. Um, they would actually <sighs> say over 25 need not apply. I'm sighing at the sexism. Not seems you. like <laughs> seems like nothing has really changed. Yes, um, nothing's really changed. So a little idea. <laughs> Good about, to know all um, the progress we've made in 100 fucking years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So uh, roughly around this time, um, slightly less than half of the bartenders in London were women or also known as barmaids. Um, So half actually isn't that bad. That's it's like actually way less now. And there's a reason for that. Were the men also Um, known as barmaids? Just asking for posterity. (laughs) Um, And these barmaids were usually the daughters of like tradesmen or mechanics or occasionally young women from higher classes who had been through some sort of life event that then required them to kind of do it on their own. Women who uh, fall from grace. Make their way Got in it. the world. You know, like <laughs> their father dies and her brothers takes all his money and then she's like, fuck. Mm. Um, you know, it's like a sense and sensibility situation. That's great. I love I love creating societies where where women are held to like unattainable standards and then like men have all of the the power and authority and then men inevitably just fuck it up over and over again god you you have no idea how true that is so (laughs) at this time there were actually like i said about half were uh women bartenders because many women saw the job as like less monotonous and potentially more lucrative than like other professions that were available to them however At the same time, campaigns were underway uh, to eliminate the barmaid as a profession for women because of perceptions that the job was bad for them and for society physically and morally. Jesus fucking Um, So while all that's going on, we got Coley over here. She's at the Savoy Hotel. She, like, makes her way up the ranks um, because she's super charismatic. People, like, absolutely love her. Um, She does cite that the first drink she learned how to make was the Manhattan, um, which, chef's kiss, um, which was taught to her by the hotel's wine butler, who kind of, like, took a shine to her. Um, And that's something I kept reading in articles. They kept saying took a shine to her. And I don't really know how to take that. Like, he wanted to fuck her or he just, like, liked her and thought she was great. I mean, either way, it sounds like it worked out. So it wasn't long (laughs) after that. uh, I'm giving giving this whole story a lot of side eye, which I don't think is – maybe it's translating over the microphone. I don't know. I've had a lot of vodka, so I can't tell. (laughs) It wasn't that long after um, that she learned how to make that drink that she moved over to the Savoy Hotel um, and worked at its famed American bar. Coley was immediately popular, showing a talent for crafting drinks and having a personality that customers adored. Some of her most famous customers included the Prince of Wales, Charlie Chapman, and Mark Twain. So she was very popular. Then in 1903, she became the head barman. Um, (laughs) All right. uh, I think that that accent is necessary whenever seeing (laughs) that job description. The head barman. (laughs) Coley. 
many actually cite this as the catalyst for making the Savoy American Bar famous and what it is today. Um, now, Coley remained at the Savoy for almost 25 years. When she retired in 1926, famed barman and the author of the Savoy cocktail book, Harry Craddock, took over. Here's where things get a little weird. A little weird. So many find Coley's early retirement suspicious and question if she was forced out by Craddock. Mm-hmm. Now, Harry Craddock, I have mentioned before, he was a pioneer um, and as I said, he he wrote the Savoy cocktail book, which is like kind of like the handbook for any aspiring bartender. Um, like I own it. It's it's just one of those books. Like if you're even remotely interested in like mixology or, or attending bar, you you need that book. Theory. Um, Sidebar theory. Uh huh. He stole all of his recipes from Coley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, no that, evidence a, to back this up. No, other than I was just the knowledge say, of how men work. There's about as much evidence for that as any of the other theories that I'm going to talk about. So um, so like I said, people thought it was suspicious. Now, um, Craddock was originally born in England, but had moved to the United States at a long, young age. And he had um, basically made his name in the bar scene in the United States. What could have happened that sent Craddock going back to England? Maybe prohibition. What would? <laughs> So Craddock was forced to return to England in 1921 if he wanted to continue doing the job that he loved. Um, so he found a job at the service bar at the Savoy Hotel. Um, people don't really know if him and Coley actually even like spoke. Any interactions they might have had is undocumented and unknown. So we don't hmm. actually know. What we do know is that in 1925, when Coley was still the head bartender, the hotel shut down for renovations, while at the same time announced the retirement of their only two women bartenders, Coleman and Ruth Burgess. Fuck that. When it reopened in early 1926, Craddock was the new head barman. So there are two main theories to what happened. The first theory is called the buddy theory. Or also the Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers theory. Um, Essentially, in the book, The New Cocktail Hour, which was published in 2016, the authors, 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 (laughs) Tanea and Andre Darlington write, Coleman Coleman was a mentor to Harry Craddock, who worked under her for four years. That's literally all we have. And this is a super cute theory, but unfortunately, there's like literally no evidence that they even interacted, let alone had a mentee-mentor relationship. Um, Also, part of me finds it pretty hard to believe that a seasoned bartender like Craddock would, uh, quotes, let a woman bartender teach him anything. And this was the 1920s. Uh, Women didn't even have the right to vote in England until 1928. Yeah, so I wonder if like, their retirement had something to do with that. Because that, that was my first thought, is that like all of a sudden employing women becomes really political in the late 20s. We will get there. I'm sorry, I get excited <laughs> about history. Um, it also might be telling that of all the drinks Craddock compiled in the Savoy Cocktail Guide, only one is credited to Coleman, which is in fact the Hanky Panky. Mm-hmm. Um, she invented a ton of drinks. None of them are included in that book. Hmm. Uh, theory two, which I entitled the hashtag all men theory, um, <laughs> which is actually the Craddock forced Coleman out theory. 
Um, this comes from an article written about Coleman in 2016, where author Emily Bell writes, it suggested Coleman was possibly forced out of the American bar because Craddock was not super happy with a female head bartender. And by his own accounts, Craddock was pleased and proud of his own accomplishments. Um, basically, he thought like super highly of himself. He was super great. Hashtag um, all and, men. Aren't all men. Hashtag all men. Um, mm -hmm. And while this is completely plausible, again, there is not much evidence for this theory except for the fact that she was a woman, he was a man, and it was the 1920s. And all of the evidence of human history to support that. Exactly. So then <laughs> there is a subset of this theory where mm. people think that, yes, she was pushed out by Harry Craddock, but not like he didn't do the pushing. Mm. Like she was pushed out for him to come in, but that he wasn't the one that actually made it happen. Um this theory says that it's actually a change in bar trends that just happened to favor Craddock over Coleman, a.k.a. he was a man and she was a woman. Um, the Savoy really like thrived during the American <laughs> prohibition where people from America basically descended upon American style bars overseas. <laughs> and it said that Americans were uncomfortable with women bartenders and saw it as inappropriate. <laughs> Fucking pure <No>. inappropriate. <laughs> Yeah. According to British cocktail journalist Alice LaSales, I think it's LaSales, uh, Americans, unlike the British, found the notion of female bartenders troubling. She suggested that Coleman was deposed and later took a course of action rather more befitting a woman and retired to the hotel's flower shop. In short, male privilege asserted itself. Hmm. Fucking hate male privilege. Great. Yeah. And then the kind of like unofficial final theory is that she was just done. Uh, Coleman would have been in her 50s at the time and behind the bar for more than 25 years. Um, and that's a pretty long time by kind of any standard. Sure. I would have liked to think, though, that she would have like shepherded another young female bartender up the ranks. Um, instead of the only other woman bartender retiring at the same time. Right. Mm -hmm. That suspect is fucked. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, go with theory, blame all men. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, I agree that they I mean, definitely that's going to be the root of the problem regardless. Yes. No. And like, I definitely agree that it could possibly be that like, because there's no evidence that Harry Craddock and her ever even interacted. Um, I believe it's very much could be they were going to push her out because Americans didn't like it. And politically, they didn't want to have to deal with having a woman behind the bar and that he was the obvious choice to fill that position because he was already well established and knew what he was doing. People liked him. I have yada yada yada. Yeah, I have a problem with like blaming American sensibilities, which like I have no doubt that like Americans well, no, are they flocking. still made the choice. Yeah, like we're, but like also like you said, like this is on the eve of like women gaining the right to vote. Like it suddenly becomes very political to have women in the workplace, and it like just and especially in a public facing position that's not a traditionally like quote unquote female role like a secretary. Or like an assistant, someone who isn't subservient to a male, like to have a, a woman in a leadership role, right? So, mm -hmm. like, yes, American sensibilities might have had something to do with it. But I also think just like British sensibilities had something to do with it. Because like fucking suffragists were like bombing shit. Like they <laughs> yeah. were, they were mm -hmm. fucking badass. Mm -hmm. in, like, oh my God, that reminds me of um, Ella Holmes. What's the what's the movie? I with think the, that's right. Oh, the show. No, it's um Sherlock Holmes' little yeah, sister. It's um Enola, Enola Holmes. Enola, Enola Holmes. Yeah, it's yeah. like that. 
Yeah, where uh, Helena Bonham Carter is like (laughs) bombing places. It was amazing. (laughs) Yeah, spoiler alert if you haven't watched Enola Holmes. Sorry, (laughs) go watch it. It's adorable and and it didn't get enough press. Yeah, it's fucking amazing. But yeah, I mean, women were literally like like a famous suffragist who I cannot remember her fucking name right now because again, too much vodka. She said that like war is the (laughs) only language that men understand. So they like literally fucking bombed buildings and shit all the time, all the time, because that was like the only way that like American women would not have gained the right to vote if it had not been for the violent protests of uk women because american men were terrified that american women would get more violent and we fucking would have yes Mm -hmm. we took away your booze we started the temperance movement what else do you want us to do right right (laughs) so i'm just i'm i i think that probably had a lot to do with it is that like there's is this just like really political like high high like stress moment for for like women in society and like having them in a very visible leadership role in a public facing leadership role Mm -hmm. was probably like a big no-no at that time yeah i 100 percent agree i think the first theory is fucking stupid that like there was a mentee mentor relationship like yeah and coley was interviewed many times throughout her life and literally never said anything about craddock so like if they had that sort of like fred astaire ginger rogers like no relationship like i think she probably would mention him mm-hmm. right whereas yeah. what was happening historically at the time and and politically i think the other kind of subset theory uh, off of the hashtag all men theory makes the most sense <laughs> right um i agree or or again she was just done we don't know but some like i said some writers state that she went to the hotel's flower shop so like she didn't actually full-on retire she went she um, took a more feminine role right but like, but no, people aren't even sure that she did that quote unquote feminine people think that some people <laughs> some articles and stuff say that she just full-on retired some mm-hmm. say she retired to the floral shop yeah so i don't know i think in it sorry go ahead <laughs> well i'm just gonna be wrapping up so if you want to say something say i was just now. gonna complain about <laughs> about men <laughs> um but you look at like all the like huge societal upheavals and it's like it's it's essentially a male response to like female equality or or dominance right like Mm-hmm. The fucking Salem witch trials, and actually witch trials in Europe, right before the Salem witch trials, it's because women Where were they practicing actually mid- burned women, right? It was <laughs> because ma- women were practicing midwifery, mm-hmm. and they were having better success in medicine than men were, right? Like you look throughout human history, and all of the times when, and I'm especially like feeling a very emotionally raw because of what happened this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But, like, it's when, like, white, straight men, male feelings get hurt. And it's, like, we need to, like, fucking process your emotions. Like, go to therapy. Like. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's almost like the people in power don't like it when the people who aren't in power um, stick up for themselves. Right. I don't know. You know, hold protests or. Right. You know. Right. Put videos of their, you know, brothers and sisters being murdered in the street by Mm. those in power. It's almost like they don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. When the easy solution would be to just stop doing it. Right. Right. <laughs> they don't want to acknowledge that they benefit from a system of oppression. And because they don't acknowledge that they benefit from a system of oppression, they end up like perpetuating that oppression. 
and making it exponentially fucking worse. It would go I away should, if you would just stop talking about it. I should really find <laughs> out um, how to pronounce this woman's name if it's Ada or Ada. Because I feel bad because she's obviously she's going to be a drunk dish icon now. Yes. yes. Coley. Coley is a queen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I don't know how to say her first name. I don't I know mean, if it's she went by Coley. That was her chosen yes, name. She went by Coley. So, so Coley died in 1966 at the age of 91. Yeah, she kicked what? it. Fucking nice. legend. Yes. In 2016, Liquor.com listed her as one of the nine most important bartenders of all time. And bartenders at the Savoy still spoke of her as an iconic mm. legend. Amazing herstory. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the Hanky Panky is now served worldwide. In 2015, it was listed by Drinks International as one of the top 50 best-selling cocktails. At the Savoy, it is served in two versions, the original Coleman recipe along with an upgraded version, which is aged in oak barrels and includes several different kinds of vermouth and gin. Bullshit. If it's good enough for Coleman, it's good enough for me. Right. (laughs) And then in 2018, a cocktail bar and lounge named Ada's Place opened in the Hudson Yards neighborhood of New York City. The name is tribute to Coleman. Oh, so cool. So, Coley, cheers to Coley. Cheers. Clink. Virtual. Virtual. virtual (laughs) As I've been drinking my drink, I've continued to add vodka. Back in the glass. Oh, that's dangerous, it's darling. It's very, uh, it was a bad choice. You can't choice. do that. <laughs> you can't do that. But anyways, that's what I've got. Um, and I would highly recommend this drink for anyone that likes more complex cocktails that are kind of bitter. And, you know, if you're if you're drinking just gin and juice all the time and that's like your go-to, which is fine, this prob- might not be for you. No, okay. I don't know that I would serve this to Kate and Amy. No, okay. I mean, if we were I mean, you recording, would. I yeah. would. You would. But like, I don't know that like if we were just hanging out for fun, I don't know that I would make this mm. for you guys. It's very harsh. Yeah. Yeah. But I prefer I prefer complex. things that don't generally don't taste like alcohol because um, I don't I want yeah. it to sneak up on me. I want to feel miserable tomorrow. <laughs> That's really uh, I want that booze to be sneaky. Yeah. yeah. I want that suspicious booze. I should probably move to like sneaky more. Booze. More sneaky, like flavor sneaky, sneaky. forward booze because then I wouldn't sneak up on me and I wouldn't have a situation like what I have right it's now. It's hard to drink a lot of these, but. <laughs> Yeah. It's also, a, it's all alcohol as well, so. I mean, yeah, but Anyways. that's good because then you're, like, fully aware of yourself. You're not, that's like, true. me and yeah, become I'm not going to stand up sudden. and be like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> Shit. Yeah. All right. Amy, what do you have for us? I'm going to take us on a meandering wild journey of history of Massachusetts. Um, and we're going to be talking about Toll House Cookies, America's yeah, favorite delicious. cookie. Yay. Yeah, I, I don't. I was hoping to have time this weekend to make Toll House cookies. I did not have time I don't to think make any Toll House of us cookies. Did. I, we all said we were going yep, to, and yep. then none of us did. I no, had a vision of life. all of us eating warm. I know. Not even just like baked, like warm, ba- like just out oh. of the oven baked cookies. You, wanna, you want me to make cookies while we're in a panini? <laughs> Yes, that's the perfect. Everybody's baking. It's baking our plants. You have to pick one realm in which you live in the pandemic and then you exist there. It's either uh, sourdough bread or plants. I tried sourdough bread. It didn't go well. Yeah. Mm. I mean, your plants are doing okay, though, right? My one plant looks like she's doing all right. (laughs) I'm a little I keep checking on her. She's a little droopy. But like, I don't know. 
It's a pandemic. Everyone's a little droopy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's talk about cookies. First, we're going to talk about the town of Whitman, Massachusetts, which is where the Nestle Toll House Woo! cookie was invented. Massholes. Mass I did not know that. That's yeah, this is, so, I'm already learning things. Okay. So um, a couple things. One, we're obviously our podcast team here. The three lovely hosts were in New Hampshire, which, as I lovingly call it, northern Massachusetts, because... We were Melissa's making sink eye. We were originally part of Massachusetts Bay Colony. There's some animosity sure. for those who are listening, maybe out in the Midwest. It's a similar animosity between like Minnesotaans, Minnesotaites. I don't know what the right word is. Residents of Minnesota against yeah, or against residents of Wisconsin, right? Oh, that's like a you thing. Hate you. Oh my God, we hate w- w- Wisconsin people. Are horrible. We hate yeah. them. Oh, no. I mean, unless you're listening to us, in which oh, case no. we love you. Oh, no. <laughs> we love you, you cheeseheads. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. But there's, you know, there's like some regional like angst going on, right? Between mm-hmm. New Hampshire and Massachusetts. But we used to be part of Massachusetts Bay Colony. They said, we're done with you. They cut us loose. We were part of Vermont for a little bit. Vermont didn't want us either. We became our own colony. We love to like, be part of Vermont. We're going to live free or die, baby. Right, exactly. So we became our own state eventually. We're going to host Porcupine Fest for all the free staters. It's going to be great. It's great. It's great. We're going to be our own country someday, probably. Probably not. Live free or die. Emphasis on the die. Our GDP Mm. is horrible. Um, It's a beautiful state. Don't get me wrong. I love it. It's lovely. Yes. Lovely. Anyways. Our government's Massachusetts. Whitman, Mass. (laughs) It's part of Plymouth County. And it started as an agricultural community. It was first settled in 1670. And it was settled because it was like this crossroads of major routes. So like if you were coming up north from Boston or you're going to towards the, you know, the ports in the ocean, there's a river that goes there, too. So like all of these different roads intersected and these rivers intersected there, too. So it became this like big crossroads place. So literally in the 1700s, it was it was home to a toll. Like, not what we think of today, like a toll booth on a highway, but like what we think of like in Robin Hood when like little John is like pay a toll. Yeah. Yeah. You got to pay the troll toll. <laughs> right. The troll toll. OK. Troll that, toll. So that's what existed in Whitman, Massachusetts in the 1700s. OK. It was an agricultural community. It was growing. It doesn't become incorporated until the 1800s as like an actual town. But it was like this big crossroads place. And today... All these crossroads have grown into all these different like intersecting highways and routes. So there's Route 18, Route 27, Route 14, Route 58, and they all intersect in this one small town. So there was a toll house that you would literally have to stop at in the 1700s to pay a toll. (gasps) Right? Shit. Right? Uh So. In, by the time the 1930s come around, you have all these highways, right? There's no actual toll house anymore. There's, you know, there's toll booths on the highway, but there's not a toll house. But Kenneth and Ruth Wakefield, their husband and wife, and I think it would be really cute to buy this, like, old historic home that's in the town and name it Toll House and turn it into, like, a really nice restaurant and inn. So they buy this place in the 1930s. They establish it as this fine restaurant and it becomes it quickly gets like this really good reputation of like a place where people can go for celebrations. And part of the reason is that Ruth and Ken are like really good cooks. So Ruth, 
she was actually like a pretty unusual one for the for her day. So she graduated from uh, Framingham State Normal School, which I don't know if normal is like named after someone or if it means like normal as opposed Regular. to abnormal. Right. Um, but she gets a, a degree in the household arts, which Ooh. is something very becoming of a lady mm. of her day. Um, and she ends up becoming a, like a really well-known dietitian, and she actually tours other universities as a lecturer and a dietitian, and she advises people. And then she takes all of that dietary knowledge and she applies it to the field of like cooking, and she starts to like invent all of these amazing different dessert items. So by the time her husband and her purchase um, what was called the Old Smith House. They turn it into the Toll House, which is becomes a restaurant and inn. And she starts to like put together all these like amazing meals and menus and and dessert dishes that really gain a, a really good reputation very quickly. So they become famous pretty quickly for their two dollar lobster dinners. So they served seafood as a staple because of their close proximity to the ocean. And then she also makes world famous butterscotch nut cookies and they're served with ice cream. And I'm sorry, I'm looking at my notes and there's so many fucking typos. I know. I noticed. I was like, whoa, was she already drunk when this when she wrote this? I wish it would have made the day so much better. Um, (laughs) But no. So she she creates these butterscotch nut cookies. She serves these warm cookies with ice cream so they get all melty and gooey and delicious. But she starts experimenting and trying to come up with like different kinds of of dessert items specifically because that's what what Toll House is becoming quickly known for. So she gets they get this uh, reputation for like really good like Americana style food. So things that are like specific to American cuisine. It isn't this like highfalutin like French restaurant um, or, you know, like, a, a, you know, British style cuisine. It's like very American based, like all relatively newer dishes. Um, and in 1938, Ruth Wakefield, she starts to experiment. She's been experimenting with all sorts of new dessert recipes. Right. And she creates what is known as the first chocolate chip cookie. And she does this by taking an ice pick and chiseling away bits from a block of Nestle chocolate. So at this time, chocolate chips do not exist. Nestle is selling selling baking chocolate like in block form and mm-hmm, in powdered mm-hmm. form. So that's how you can get it, right? So she she <clears throat> buys a block of Nestle chocolate cookie. She takes an ice pick. She chisels some chunks away. I'm miming for those of you who are purely <laughs> also, listening to us. She she bought a block of Nestle chocolate cookie. Oh, chocolate! Which I mean, just I'm just picturing her with a giant block of cookie. Yeah, no. she's just like just ice chocolate. picking bits off of you know. Just keep it next to the bed. <laughs> a little snack in the middle of the night. That sounds You've delicious. Gotta watch out for rats. That sounds delicious. But I meant just chocolate. <laughs> yes, yeah, Nestle chocolate. <laughs> and um, when she when she's doing this, she's thinking to herself because like there's. It's it's like right at the um, like we the United States hasn't entered World War Two. Right. Like we don't enter World War Two until the 1940s. Um, so we have a lot of freedom to experiment with food in the late 30s. So she's thinking like, oh, maybe this will be a good way for me to like make a chocolate cookie because she's thinking I add these chocolate chunks to the batter. They're going to melt down. It's going to make the cookie batter chocolate instead of using mm. powdered cocoa. Right. Sure. 
But it doesn't. That's not what happens right. when she puts yeah. it in the oven. So she calls this first creation the chocolate crunch cookie. And it's because those chocolate chunks maintain their shape. They don't melt fully in the oven. As we know, they're gooey and delicious and amazing um, when you put them in a cookie. And she starts serving it. She's like, hey, this is what I was expecting, but this sounds and in, in tastes delicious. Let me put it on the menu. It quickly becomes a favorite locally. And um, in 1938, the same year that she invents it, she publishes a um, series of recipes from the Toll House. It's called Toll House Tried and True Recipes. And she includes this new creation in that 1938 publication, too. So a few short years later, the United States enters World War II. And at this point... Toll House cookies are like really well known throughout the state of Massachusetts. They're delicious. They're well loved. But really, people outside of Massachusetts don't know that they exist. And we have a couple of things that are going on nationally. So one is that there's a rations on food. And these rations include things like sugar, right? We talked about this during our Jello episode. So you have all these food companies trying to like innovate and come up with creative ways. Oh, my God. Sidebar. Yes. <laughs> I just remembered I need to take a picture of it. So we live in a complex, right, with like mm-hmm. a bunch of different apartments and stuff. And um, re- I think like last year, maybe the year before, the complex changed owners. And I give them credit. The new owners are really trying to make it like a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really sweet, except, you know, we're in a pandemic. So maybe like board game <laughs> night, not a great idea. Mm. Um, breakfast. At the clubhouse, even not though good. you have to keep your masks on, not great. But anyways, they send out these newsletters and they started putting recipes on the back. And legit, we get this recipe and it's a fucking jello salad. <laughs> <laughs> it's pistachio, did- it's got pistachios, <laughs> lime jello, cool whip. And I'm like, uh, what fucking year is it? <laughs> Like what did Americans eat? It's is your is the company that manages your apartment complex non-American? I have no idea. Because my only thought is that they're thinking like, what did Americans eat the last time they were faced with crisis? <laughs> <laughs> and they pick something for World War II. I can't remember what it's called. It's a something salad. Of but course, it's, it's a, a, it's a Jello it's salad. Jello. It has nuts in it and Cool Whip and lime Jello and. I I was Gross. like I saw it and I was like. Holy shit. Greg's like, what? And I'm like, <laughs> that's what, amazing. That, I expect that to be the sort of recipe that's on a back of a thing I took home from school when I was in like kindergarten. And even then, even then, even then, my mom would have been <laughs> like, oh, I don't know about this. Yeah. No, like we're not doing this. I'll have to I hope I still have it and I'll take a picture and I'll post it to social mm-hmm. because it, yes, please do. It's a freaking speaking, time warp. Speaking of which, I do have some images in the drive for for this section I'm talking through right now. Speaking of which, I totally forgot to put up the blog post for our last episode and I'm sorry and I'll do that this week. <sighs> I just realized. Our five um, listeners, make sure you berate Melissa on social media. Um, I do have it. <laughs> it's a little because of my setup. I can't share it. So, okay. But I'm looking at it and they will be post to the blog cool so a couple things happened during world war ii right we have rations on food so this Mm -hmm. includes sugar and rations are happening like globally they're just happening in the united states so in the uk they also have food rations too and in the uk the um chocolate and ice cream industry because remember when we talked in our uh, chocolate episode cadbury was a uk-based company they kind of like Mm -hmm. overtook chocolate at the beginning um, they're able to convince the UK Parliament that that sugar rations should not include chocolate because it was really important for morale. 
and patriotism. <laughs> so in the UK, the rations include just like raw sugar as an ingredient, but they don't include chocolate. You can have as much chocolate as your money can buy you, right? Um, in the U.S., though, we're not so lucky. So chocolate is seen as this like really vital part of soldiers rations. Chocolate, we're going to do a whole nother episode on this, but chocolate's like an important thing for for soldiers because it has caffeine and high calories um, and it's really easy to consume on the go. So uh, since the time of George Washington, it has been included in soldiers rations in the United huh. States. Um, so... You have the American Red Cross. They partner and um, with Hershey's and they make M&M's. And you have um, Cadbury in the UK is making um, chocolate for soldiers rations for UK soldiers. And then also Hershey is partnering with the US military to make um, what what they call soldier bars. And they taste like soap. They taste fucking horrible. Um, they taste gross. So gross that like soldiers don't want to eat chocolate. Who doesn't want to eat chocolate? Hershey's fucked it up that bad. And um, you have also at the same time, too, like people in the United States trying to send their soldiers something to remind them of like how much they love them and care about them. So like their sons or daughters, um, you know, their nephews, nieces or whatever that are serving overseas, their their partners or significant others. They're sending all of these like care packages to them, too. And they're always trying to include something sweet, even though the people at home are sacrificing and they have literally like ration stamps to with which to buy sugar or sweet items with. They're like taking that because there's this huge like I, I want to say propaganda, but like it was also like a necessary thing because we couldn't import chocolate from other sure. other places of the world, right? But like there's like a shortage of chocolate essentially in the United States. So there's this like huge marketing campaign that the US government puts out that's like, hey, limit your consumption at home so that our soldiers can have the resources that they need to successfully fight and win a war, right? So people have ration stamps. Restaurants have ration booklets, which act a little bit differently. And they're given a lot more access and a lot more rations than individual households are, which means that places like Toll House isn't as limited nearly at being able to buy the supplies to make things like Toll House cookies or make other things too. This is this is for a couple of reasons. One, because capitalism always mm. makes sure that rich people mm -hmm. get what they want mm -hmm. in any given mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. So when you would go out to dine at a restaurant, you weren't using your ration stamps then. You were just using your money. Mm. So mm -hmm. oh, okay. say you used your ration stamps to buy your, your allotted sugar or whatever for the month. And you're like, oh, darling, I really want something sweet. You Let's just go down to the road to the toll house and we'll order a dozen fucking cookies and then we'll just eat them all ourselves because we're like horrible capitalist pigs. Gluttons. And, and we'll just use our money, which we have lots of because we're rich. We don't have to use any more ration stamps with which to buy the stuff, even though we're still consuming that sugar and we're still consuming that chocolate. We don't have to use our ration stamps to do that. We just have to use our money to do that. Mm -hmm. So you go to the grocery store, you have to use stamps and money. Right. You yeah. It's kind of like a loophole. For them, I mean, the restaurant is using rations. 
Right. The restaurant is using rations, but but they're they have a lot more leeway to request more. So if they're like really, really busy, they can make an appeal to the government to get like, yeah, but we're really, really busy because all of the rich people aren't buying. So they don't they don't have a set amount like everyone else. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So because restaurants are afforded significantly more access and significantly more rations to this kind of material, the wealthy could still eat ample amounts of sweets. Um, And like I said, people didn't need to use their ration stamps to buy those that food from the restaurants. So what was happening was that the wealthier families in the upper middle class families would go to places like the toll house and say, I really want to send young Johnny, who's our nephew fighting overseas. We really want to send him a box of cookies. Could you make a box of cookies for us? And we'll include it in our next care package to little Johnny overseas, right? And then Toll House would do that. And then all of a sudden, all of these soldiers, these GIs stationed abroad, were getting, who were from Massachusetts, because again, this is still very regional, very like state specific, were getting these care packages with fucking delicious Mm. chocolate chip cookies. And then because they weren't just getting like, like you wouldn't just send one cookie, you would get like a dozen cookies. So they would share them with their buddies and um, the other people that they were serving with, right? And they'd be like, these are fucking amazing. And then those soldiers would write home and they'd say, hey, mom, hey, dad. Hey, Gramps, can you send me, Can you know, in your next care package to me, could you send me some chocolate chip cookies, too? They're amazing. They, they, my friend got them from this place <laughs> in Massachusetts, right? So all these Massachusetts servicemen and women were sharing their cookies. And then all of a sudden, like, everyone who was serving overseas became obsessed with Toll House cookies. And Ruth Wakefield receives hundreds, if not thousands of letters asking for her recipe. Oh, my gosh. And Nestle, who, again, doesn't make chocolate chips at this point in history. They just make those blocks of semi-sweet chocolate bars. Mm -hmm. They're like, why the fuck are we selling so many semi-sweet chocolate bars when there's a (laughs) ration? one lady. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what's happening? So Andrew Nestle approaches Ruth Wakefield and he offers to buy the recipe from her. And she agrees. And what she gets in exchange is that the Toll House name appears on the recipe, and she gets a lifetime supply of Nestle chocolate, and she gets $1. That's all she gets for that magical recipe. And then Nestle ends up going on and developing, like, chocolate chips and, like, a whole (gasps) line of products that are specific what year, what year was this that she sold? This is um, the early 1940s. Okay. I couldn't find an exact year, but it was oh, post-World okay. War II. And a lot of the pictures that are in the drive, which will make their way up to the blog, are like oh. advertisements. Oh, my God. That's from that Nestle. That can't be true. <laughs> that's only. That's true. That's only $18.79. The dollar? Yeah. With inflation? Yeah. But she got a yeah. lifetime supply of Nestle chocolate. Yeah. Ruth, you got fucked. She fucked. did get fucked. <laughs> She did get fucked. But not in the good way. No. Yeah. You got fucked in the bad way. So so because of World War II and because of the whole ration situation and because of Nestle's ability to capitalize on this, they started pushing so much advertising out about this at the tail end of World War II. So a lot of the pictures that we'll post to the blog, I and mean, we'll post them to Instagram too if I can remember this. They're week. really fun. 
Yes. They're like advertisements that Nestle put out that's like, get your soldier like a Nestle Toll House cookie. Like it's His like. His one weakness. <laughs> Toll House cookies from home. Yeah. We don't want to. Infl- we don't want it to have a weakness. Ooh, back the attack with war bonds. Yes. You got you weaken your soldiers with cookies. You strengthen them with war bonds. When your dealer is temporarily <laughs> out of Nestle's chocolate products, please be patient. <laughs> your dealer. Your dealer. That's gotta the, get that yeah, shit. it's pretty much like drugs in the 40s. Because yeah. <laughs> sugar was so rare. So um, you know, Ruth Ruth survives to the 70s um with her lifetime supply of chocolate. She's she is uh famous now for her contribution to culinary okay, history. Sidebar. Yeah. There's nobody I that reference is coming to my head um from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory <laughs> where he has the machine that is supposed to give him like the winning like the winning chocolate bar and what the golden ticket's supposed to be in and the machine the computer starts talking back to him. Yeah. And they're like, what are you doing now? And he's like, well now I'm telling him exactly what he can do with a lifetime supply of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and for whatever reason, since I was a kid, that's like my favorite scene in that movie. I love that whole bit when they're going around to like super yeah. rich people yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. auctioning chocolate bars or whatever. But for whatever reason, that guy with the computer that he gets in a fight with is so fucking funny. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Willy Wonka sidebar over, but that's genius. Yes. So she survives to the 70s. Um, nice. Yeah. She's she's immortalized because of this whole thing. But I still think she got uh, the, uh, you know, short end well, of that stick. Well, yeah, and there's no legacy for her family. Right, yeah. Like, I mean, they have, I don't know if the inn is still there. Or so, the... fun fact, 1984 Toll House burns to the ground on New oh, Year's no. Eve. It's now a Wendy's. <laughs> I mean, I wish it was a Duncan's. Like, that would have been the only good answer. No, it's Duncan's. Yeah, it's a yeah. Duncan's. Oh, that's the only place where you can get a Toll House donut. America runs on it, dude. <laughs> Wicked guy. Yeah, it's a Wendy's now. Uh, um, and then by the time 1997 rolls around, it becomes the official state cookie of Massachusetts. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's I mean, cool. We learned that the the lumper potato is the official potato, a vegetable of New Hampshire. Yes. Last episode. Yep. And now we know Toll House is the official cookie dessert or cookie. Cookie. So wait, does every state have an official cookie? What's happening? I think Boston cream pie is the official dessert of Massachusetts. Remember, we talked um, about that. Yeah. I mean, no, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I know we did an episode on it. I don't remember anything from it. That's fair. That's fair. I don't have that much room in here. Come that's, on. That's the fun of recording this kind of tipsy is that we can go back and listen to our own episodes and they'll be like, that's what an true. interesting fact. Something. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Wait, I that said happened that? a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. when I re-listened to the Halloween episodes, and I'm like, oh, what a good point that I just made yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember saying that at all, but I like it. <laughs> good. I agree. Yeah. Sometimes I disagree with myself. Sometimes I say stuff and I'm like, well, that's dumb. <laughs> that's always fun. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's all I have for the uh, the Toll House cookie. And the Toll Very House. Cool. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I plan I plan on doing a whole other episode on chocolate as military rations. Um, yeah. I like it. Because that's it's a very rich history. So there was, there was a lot of research there that I didn't want to dig into tonight. But um, yeah. So that's, that's nice. what I got. 
Nice. Kate, do you, do like you have a recipe for us tonight? So, all right. For the first time since we've been doing this, Betty Crocker disappointed me tonight. Ooh. She Betty had nothing Crocker, to no. offer. Her box. <laughs> her box was dried up. Her box <laughs> did not provide. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think it's clear you didn't do enough sacrifices at your Betty Crocker altar. That is, that's probably accurate. I mean, but I, but I'm now I'm thinking maybe, maybe like there was some things there that like copyright issues that Betty couldn't produce like a chocolate chip cookie type thing, you know? I remember watching an episode of Alton Brown, that guy that was cuckoo. That has lost it. Yes. But I remember him doing an episode on chocolate chip cookies and he said It's a good episode. He said the perfect episode or the perfect recipe for a chocolate chip cookie is the Nestle recipe for a Toll House chocolate chip cookie, which he was legally not allowed to show on air. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm thinking so there is not one recipe in all of Betty's box um that even had chocolate chips in it. Like not one. Wow. So, because she couldn't sell chocolate chips. I the fucking yeah. capitalist slut. Yeah, like I don't know. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. She everything in her box is something I she know. can sell. That, right. It wasn't there was two, no mix, no pre-made two of mix. The titles for this episode have the word slut in them, and I think <laughs> it'll get censored out if I try and use it. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry, Melissa. This but is what luckily, happens when you give me a lot of vodka. And they both came from you. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, luckily, I was <coughs> saved by uh, my niece who provided us with the Girl Scout cookies um, this week. The lovely, the the wonderful package of Girl Scout cu- cookies that came um, also came with a recipe, a recipe right here um, for Thin Mint Brownies. Mm. And I thought that this would be okay because <laughs> um, the the recipe is basically you take one half of a box of Thin Mint cookies and you crush the shit out of them and then mm. you use one box brownie mix. So we're going to say you use one box of Betty Crocker brownie mix. <laughs> You're throwing her a bone we're she doesn't need. it right in there. Um, <laughs> and then you just basically it's like two eggs and water and veg oil. I think it's probably just like whatever the box says yeah and then Um, you put some cookies in it yeah and then you just mix the crushed up cookies in there uh and then you eat them when they come out of the oven uh and then it specifically says serve with mint flavored tea um no 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 we (laughs) don't eat tea with our brownies we're americans (laughs) yeah yeah we just i'm not a big fan of mint tea yeah that's too much mint because you got mint in the brownies you just just enjoy The yeah. mint and the brownies. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But these sound no. delicious to me. Like this sounds. No. Yeah, no, those sound good. I'm really, all for really taking good. box stuff and combining it with other pre-made stuff and then making something magical yeah, out of that. Yeah, A yeah, new yeah. stuff. I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. So, um, so even though Betty could not provide, we do have this delicious <laughs> recipe and it's, there's a, um, for more recipe ideas, you can go to the Girl Scouts website and they have other um recipe on uh, recipes on there so i love it can we can we pick a different like 
drunk dish mascot every year or whenever i guess whenever we feel like it we don't have to be official but like right now it's betty crocker right but eventually we will tire of betty crocker well i I mean as soon as we're done with her box i mean what good is she right she'll be used up (laughs) throw her out of the house but maybe we can move on to julia child hanging around or even yeah or even um the fucking woman i just spent so long talking about ruth wakefield Right? Yeah. She has a mm-hmm. recipe, like a cookbook. A cookbook? Uh, that's yeah. The word. yeah. <laughs> a cookbook. <laughs> you are correct. I'm like I'm an alien Amy. trying to pretend to be human because I don't remember words. <laughs> words are hard. You do yeah, great. They're hard. But, yeah, that's, they're but hard. I think it'd be fun to, like, you know, mix it up. We're, we're working with Betty Crocker right now. Yeah, we'll see what she's got episode yeah. by episode. I mean, she's been pretty. She's been pretty good yeah. so far. Yes, we, but when we tire of her, mm, there are more mm-hmm. idols waiting to take her no, place. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I definitely have. I definitely have um, a Irma Bombeck and a Fanny Farmer and a Julia Child cookbook. Oh, Fanny all, Farmer, all in my kitchen. You so love that Fanny, Fanny, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's... Fanny is the best next choice because then we can continue to make vagina jokes. <laughs> Yep. In case you didn't pick up that we were doing that. Was that what we were doing? <laughs> hmm. Betty uh, Crocker's mound has been fertile. <laughs> but uh, it's dried up. We're moving on. Going yep. out west. <laughs> oh, man. So that's all I've got. That's, <laughs> that's great. That's, that's a good that. recipe. I like to. The, the, I appreciate the Girl Scouts like website has recipes on there because... Sometimes, like I said, like the the tree folds or whatever they're called, the shortbread cookies are a good like base. Yeah, for yeah, stuff. That's a good right? idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's new ways to enjoy your girls' cookies. Right, you right, gotta right, teach right. those young girls capitalism. It's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> well, this is so drunk. So drunk. I feel bad I'm for my partner that, and children tonight. I just am glad that your cup has a cover on it. That's all I was thinking. Oh, no, so you're good. This well, is that's water. water. I've been yeah, yeah, water I know, for I the know. past 30 minutes, ladies. Yes, like a good girl. Mm-hmm, yeah, but it's I was... not going to help. <laughs> it will. You might not realize, but it's helping. <laughs> it is. I, Hydrate. Hydration is key. There's the baby kitten on, on your bed. I also brought snacks so that I wouldn't, this wouldn't happen. But it's like <laughs> the best laid plans. Because I also the, brought, I also brought the bottle of vodka. <laughs> the snacks in the water don't really help if you bring an entire bottle of vodka. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. only there's only like an inch left on the no half an inch. I mean, half an inch left yeah, on the bottom. Like, that might be a shot. Yeah, that might be two ounces. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. uh, And we hope we will catch you next time. So bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Fuckers. Oh, my God. Amy, pull yourself together, woman. Thank you for listening to Drunk Dish. For recipes and more, please visit DrunkDish.com. If you like what you hear, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Apple Music. You can also follow us on Twitter at DrunkDishPod and Instagram at DrunkDish. And again, thanks for listening.